Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Another busy week at the movie theaters and on home video. Welcome back to the screening room. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We are from MadWolf.com, and we start with a new film from Oscar winner Catherine Bigelow amidst the chaos of the Detroit Rebellion with the city under curfew as the Michigan National Guard patrolled the streets. Three young African-American men were murdered at the Algiers Motel. This is Detroit. It's a war zone out there. They're destroying the city. Boy, what you doing on my street? Get that gun off me. Oh, what? Now, let's not be stupid in this situation. You need to tell me where the gun is. I got all night, people. Tell me exactly what is going on here. Catherine Bigelow reunited with writer Mark Bull. Now, they worked together. They, they both won Oscars for The Hurt Locker, and then they were both nominated for their next film, Zero, Zero Dark, Dark 30. Thirty. Both incredibly effective films. Storytellers. That's the thing. The two of them together are, are remarkable, meticulous storytellers. They really are, and they bring the same sort of verite style with an incredible eye for detail to this film, which is, I'll tell you right now, it's not pleasant but it is necessary. It takes us back to 1967, the Detroit riots, and amidst those days of rioting, a police, state police, and National Guard in Michigan ended up raiding an annex of the Algiers Motel where there were reports of shots fired. According to the film, it's a starter pistol somebody is messing with. But uh, in the course of hours of beatings and interrogations, three young African-American men were murdered and this gets inside the story and it is it's harrowing it is suspenseful it's brutal and it is highly highly effective not only with the brand of storytelling as we mentioned and great performances throughout featuring an ensemble cast with very talented actors that are able to carve out these sharply defined characters in sometimes limited screen time because there's a lot going on here and as they do, Bigelow and Ball kind of layer the timelines, they layer the occurrences, they even mix in some archival footage, uh, both video and photographic footage, to really, as with the other films, they, they take you inside these events and really make you feel part of it, so much so that I, I know it's a cliche, I caught myself holding my breath as these events played out, Amazing. even though in some cases, depending on how familiar you are with the history. You may know what's coming. You may not, but it, 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 it quickens the pulse. It, it makes you incredibly frightened and sad at the same time. And it's, again, it's it's not a film that is, is fun to watch, but it's, it's one that should be watched because it's going to spark debate and that is good because in how it uses these this, histor this shameful historical event to hold a mirror up to ourselves at this present moment is really what how the film finds its lasting power. It's really it's it's what Selma did two years ago. Yes. Really used a historical context to sort of draw attention to problems of today. But boy, she's got a great cast. John Boyega, always so great. Will Poulter, love to see him really shine in something. Yeah, and this is so different for him. You may probably know him most from The Revenant, but 
He's he's so sadistic in this role as Officer Krauss, the ringleader. Once they're inside the the uh, motel, and the way the violence so casually comes to him is just terrifying. And yeah, I would expect some award consideration for Will Poulter. And yeah, John Boyega, most known from Star Wars, the last Star Wars, The Force Awakens. We've known him in a few films, and he's always always very good. He really carries the film's soul as a, a black security officer who is on the scene, really to to help to try to make peace, and then. Boy, there's an incredible scene where the gravity of his situation starts to really hit him, and he starts trembling, and and we tremble with him. Uh, there and there are there are fine, stellar performances up and down the cast. In fact, a, a young man I wasn't that familiar with, Algie Smith, who plays uh, a character named Larry Cleveland, who was the original lead singer of the R&B vocal group The Dramatics, who went on to hits, and he was their original lead singer who was caught up in this, and and he brings a real tender nuance to his character just just up and down the cast everyone even the ones that you're going to hate are, are so good in fleshing out this drama and and the way that it weighs on you well jack rayner's always good jason mitchell always good jacob Lattimore too he's not been in a lot of good films but he has been good in them so i'm glad to see him get a good film yeah everybody it's 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 up and down as i said before it's it's, it's a fantastic ensemble cast and it, you know, you mentioned Selma, and that's good because Selma, of course, was directed by Ava DuVernay, an African-American female director. And it's, it's worth noting that the questions that have come up about this tragedy being funneled through the lens of white filmmakers, those are legitimate concerns. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. In fact, this, when you have brutality this stark, then you can start talking about, oh, does this become voyeuristic for sure. white people at the helm directing vi- white violence on, on black people? And those are legitimate concerns, but I will tell you that as much as a movie this savage can have a sensitivity, it does. It really, maybe it helps from being familiar with Catherine Bigelow's work, I suppose, sure, yeah. when you come to it with, with that sort of knowledge, but you really feel this, this strive to get it right get the details right, and tell this story correctly. It, it really bursts from every frame, right down to, incidentally, the final, there's a final title card at the end kind of explaining the need for dramatic license that all these films take because so many of these historical dramas, people will start pointing out this and that. Well, there's a reason it's not a documentary, and it's just a reminder at the very end of this that they had to take some dramatic license, but... Again, you feel the sensitivity, you feel the need to get it right, while not discounting at all the concerns about telling the story through that lens. But the good news is the story is told, and it is told incredibly well. And it's weird to give such a wholehearted recommendation to a movie that is so hard to watch, but we're going to do it with Detroit. Urge you to see it. And you know what you can avoid if you're trying to choose what should I see this weekend? We're going to say choose Detroit and not the Dark Tower. I see a tower. The man in black. And the gunslinger. They're just dreams. They're not real, Jake. Who are you? It's you. You're a gunslinger, right? There are no gunslingers. Not anymore. Why does the man in black want to destroy the tower? The tower protects both our worlds. If it falls, hell will be unleashed. You can't stop what's coming. Death always wins. I do not kill with my gun. I kill with my heart. 
Yeah, if you're a Stephen King fan, you already know about this. It's the story of the last gunslinger who has been locked in an eternal battle with the man in black. And this one, I got to say, I'm not surprised at your reaction because this one, whoo-hoo, not getting good buzz. Well, so here's part of the problem. Uh, let me And let me say up front, I am to a degree a Stephen King fan, and I think that there are many good adaptations of his novels. He uses too damn many words, <laughs> right? As a writer, I have always felt like Stephen King is just, it's like he's being paid by the word and it could really be streamlined. This film takes it a little extreme because The Dark Tower is not a novel. It's a series of novels. Well, that's the thing that first caught my eye because when I saw this was being turned into one movie and then I looked at the running time and I was like, uh, you mean 90 minutes? All that in 90 minutes? I know, that's just the problem. And it's a... Um, it's more sci-fi than horror, but it's, you know, it's a it's a complicated story of, you know, worlds and worlds inside the universe and this dark tower and what it means and what it does. And this movie just bypasses all of that. There's a dark tower and it sits in the middle of the world. And if it falls down, monsters will come in and you just think, how did it get there? Who built it? <laughs> <laughs> Where are these monsters from? No, we're not going to tell you. We're too busy. It's so meat cleaver and band-aid to this to this novel series it's ridiculous you know and it's too bad because it wastes a great talent in Idris Alba who has very little opportunity to do anything at all he's the gunslinger and uh he gets to be sort of the you know eventually schmaltzy father figure to the little boy who undermines this this plot to end the universe and let me just say isn't the little boy a little reminiscent of the character in The Shining doesn't he have a He's a little boy with some some ability to see into other worlds. Doesn't that smack of, of repeating some devices there? George, it's literally called The Shine. Are you serious? Yeah, he has The Shine. Yeah. <laughs> but see, here's the thing, though. Stephen King loves him. I didn't him. even know that. No, loves the adolescents who uh, are psychic, right? Because you've got it. I mean, you've got it all over the place. It started with Carrie. Only right. things don't turn out as well for Carrie. I don't know why. Everybody else. <laughs> but it's called The Shine. It's called The Shine. Yeah. Wow. It's well, you know, the, the funny thing is we talk about taking such voluminous source material and, and whittling it down. It's not that that can't be done. It has been done with works that are long, and you take a certain segment of it, and you, and you can make an effective film, but no, not it's here. A, it's a, no, it's a, it's a ridiculous idea that they tried to. And it's such a, it's so convoluted. It's such a Cliff's Notes version. There's no richness here. Now, the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll give it is Matthew McConaughey, who, uh, who, who takes to playing the villain with relish, you know, and what a wig. Travolta-esque, this wig. Really? Oh, my God, yes. It's not only that the storyline is hacked to pieces and and, uh, and hard to follow. It's also that somehow, still, with this incredibly brief version, it feels bloated and long and tedious. It's visually unappealing. There is there is no momentum in the movie at all. You know, and the thing is, there are, are hundreds of bad Stephen King movies. Sometimes they're fun. Maximum Overdrive can be fun. It's got its B-movie charm. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't. It's just lifeless and bland. Next up this week, it's Oscar winner Halle Berry as a mother stopping at nothing to recover her kidnapped son in Kidnap. Frankie! Just had to keep coming, didn't you? The bear is my son! Let me tell you something. As long as my son is in that car... I will not stop. Wherever you go, I will be right behind you. You took the wrong kid. You know, movies like this, I'm always reminded of the movie Barton Fink, 
where the writer is continually prodded to make a Wallace Beery wrestling picture. Just keep cranking out the same movie over and over. And I feel like some studio boss somewhere is yelling at a writer going, make me another Taken. I need a revenge movie. And here's one with Halle Berry. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's absolutely true. And it's it's funny that you say that because, yeah, again, in, in this film, Halle Berry basically plays Liam Neeson. <laughs> and, and it is. It's true. Back in 2008. And it seems longer ago to me than that. Liam Neeson revolutionized film with these very streamlined, mid-budget, quickly paced, righteous vengeance films. And, and, and in doing so, he also elongated the careers of middle-aged actors everywhere. Well, and it should be noted, especially this week with the dropping of the trailer for the remake for Death Wish. Mm-hmm. I mean, Death Wish did the same thing. You can take it all back to the 70s. So it's not like it's that new of an idea, but Taken just revitalized it in such a a box office winning way that now they just keep cranking them out. Oh, they really do. So again, in this case, and you know, this is a somewhat softer version. She is not black ops or anything like that. She's just a mom uh, and she's just in a red minivan and she's just not letting this kid out of her sight. And you know what? Uh, it's uh, it's a better film than I thought it would be, maybe because I watched it immediately after I watched The Dark Tower. <laughs> it's possible. Well, you know, and, and it's funny because since she won an Oscar, you know, Holly Berry has had trouble following it up and finding really solid roles. Yeah, she made some, has some, made some bad choices as well. But you go back to a few years ago, uh, 2013, with the movie The Call. Now, that is a hideously titled movie. That title is awful. That's one where I ended up thinking, you know, this is better than it ought to have been. So this one, I think, doesn't even rise quite to that level, although it gets the benefit of having you've seen it just from seeing the terrible Dark Tower. No, you're right. But it's funny that you bring up the call because it's the one that's the most similar, right? Where it's almost entirely Halle Berry and it is a venge- it's a revenge and savior sort of a role. It's right. very much, it's a Taken type film. And it's another one where it benefits from her presence but also, it's it's quick, quickly paced. It's low budget. It's just a B thriller. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a well put together, forgettable B thriller. And you know what? It's not bad. It's not good. It's not bad. Those are the three major releases this week. Uh, but you're going to find a couple others that are worth noting in limited release. And the first is an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. Obviously, the sequel to An Inconvenient Truth, the Oscar winning documentary from 2006 focusing on Al Gore at the time, really sounding the alarm for the dire consequences of global warming. Now, that one was directed by Davis Guggenheim. And if you remember, it was mainly almost a filmed lecture. Right. Incredibly effective. Yeah. But here we've got a, a pair of directors, Bonnie Cohen and John Shank, who actually have experience not only with documentaries, but a few years ago they actually did another climate-based, very effective documentary called The Island President. Well, they're back and they take the reins from Guggenheim and they shift the focus a lot here. It's moving away from so much of a filmed lecture to the real day-to-day minutiae of what Al Gore is still out there doing. Mm -hmm. You know, boots on the ground, so to speak, fighting this fight uh, now with the rise of Donald Trump in the face of some really gut-wrenching setbacks after some major successes right. and we see those unfold and you know it is it is very effective now are are they preaching to the choir yes they are do they have a respect for al gore that is present in every frame of the movie absolutely but at the same time the sermon if you will here that they're preaching is incredibly persuasive 
And and Al Gore, you've got to say the man has earned it. I mean, since yeah. that since that failed presidential run, you know, I don't know what side of the the argument you fall on that, but since that Supreme Court decision, he's so committed to this cause. And in some cases, maybe it's how it's framed, it, it comes off as a very lonely life it for, really for him. It really does. One of the things I liked about about this film is the way it does make him kind of the central figure in a way that humanizes him, yeah. you know, and he comes off as, yeah, kind of lonely, uh, goofy, <laughs> but boy, with just boundless hope, you know? And and I remember when I saw the trailer for this thinking, I, I can't watch this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I thought, I'm going to come out of this movie. I have lost the will to live. Yeah. But it's very hopeful. It is. It really is. And it, I think it needed to be. It, it one On one hand, it shows how dire the situation still is, sometimes just just stupefyingly so. Yeah. Where you see some of this, you're like, and there are people that still, it, it's a hoax, okay? And on the other hand, yes, it is somehow incredibly hopeful. So I thought it was very, very effective as a sequel to an Oscar-winning film, and that's an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. Also in limited release uh, this week is a movie that actually we thought was coming out last week, but it makes it this week, and it's the new one from Jenny Slate and director Jillian Robespierre. Now, they worked together on An Obvious Child, uh, from a couple of years ago that we liked very much. This new one's called Landline. It is, and it's funny. It's, it's set in 1995. And, you know, they make great, very nostalgic use. Mm-hmm. There are no cell phones. And, you know, it's, <laughs> and it's cute the way Imagine they do that. it. Imagine that. I know. And, uh, and it's really a story of these two bickering sisters. One is about to get married and one is about to graduate from high school. And their family, uh, kind of, uh, you know, a well-to-do, you know, family in Manhattan that, that just begins to disintegrate. And it's charming. It's really, really well acted across the board. Jenny Slate is as charming as ever. Abby Quinn plays her sister, and she's wonderful. I've not seen her in anything else before. John Turturro and Edie Falco play the parents. Oh, Always yeah. amazing. Always it's it's very charming. It's very funny. And I just think, you know, for me, the problem is simply that it it's maybe a little bit too common of mm-hmm. a story. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's not it's it's fresh and it's well written. It just doesn't say much that's new. Uh-huh. But, you know, if you're looking for, you know, a charming indie comedy, I would recommend it. Yeah, they've shown that as a as a tandem, they can really do good work. Now, of course, mm-hmm. Obvious Child was centered around the issue of abortion, which is such a hot button issue. This doesn't have that. Uh, so maybe they're transitioning into more of a stand, standard type of film. Sure, I just don't know that. I just don't know they were entirely successful in it because it doesn't stand apart enough from mm-hmm. so many other New York-based learn our lessons as a crumbling family type film. Right, but still has enjoyable moments, very so it much, might be very worth much checking and out. Great performances. Going to the home video shelf releases on Blu-ray and DVD and the like. The first one that caught my eye is Colossal. Now this one. It kind of flew under the radar a little, a little bit, but it's uh, it's Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis, and they're kind of slackers. Uh, Anne Hathaway drinks too much. She loses her boyfriend. She loses her apartment, and she winds up back in her hometown and uh, runs into her old friend from school who's running a bar, and she can work there part-time. And then all of a sudden, there's a monster on the loose in Korea, and through a weird sort of circumstances... And Hathaway's character figures out that she is controlling the movements of this monster. So now this is a writer and director who Nacho Vigalondo, who first did of all, Time Crimes. It's a great that name. We love it. Is a great. We name. love the name Nacho, <laughs> <laughs> and we love the movie Time Crimes. Yeah, we think about this movie. If you can find it, it's a time travel crazy adventure it's that is so great. Really worth checking out. So this one, his his concept 
is just about as big as this monster when you think about this. Okay, this woman is controlling the monster, and somehow he makes it work, and he's able to also get out of the corner that he kind of backs himself into here and ends up making a kind of a sly commentary about self-delusion and goals and and you know living your own life and things like that and i found it very very enjoyable with some winning performances and if if you're if you're up for and can handle this weird premise that sounds so outlandish right. i would say definitely go for checking out colossal Another one we recommend is a dry romantic comedy of sorts. We actually follow two middle-aged married people played remarkably by Deborah Winger and Tracy Letts. Yeah, they're so good. They're so good. And uh, each one is cheating on the other with somebody else. And each one is planning to leave the other after their son visits. After their son visits and then leaves. And they each keep telling their significant other after this visit. But then little by little... As if, because each is going through the same thing separately, not knowing the other is going through it, they sort of decide they like each other again. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, they're cheating on their significant other with their spouse. And you know, it's funny, it's not as mad cap as it sounds. It's not, you're no, right. No, it isn't. It's, it's almost unsettlingly realistic, to be honest with you. I found myself a little disturbed by it, to be, tru- to be truthful about it, but it's, it's funny uh, it's poignant. It's incredibly well written and incredibly well acted. Yeah, I loved how Deborah Winger and Tracy Letts. Tracy Letts, by the way, known I guess primarily as a writer. I mean, he's a play, a, a, a magnificent playwright. Yeah, I believe he r- won the Pulitzer Prize for uh, August Osage County. And he also wrote Killer Joe, which we, well, we love and Bug and Bug. So anyway, he's a, an accomplished writer, and now he's moving in more and more into acting. And he's great. Deborah Winger's great. I love from just. From the very beginning, really before they even have much screen time, you you feel their just weariness of being around each other. Yeah, they, just they treat the each there. other like a piece of the furniture. A, a piece of furniture they, they just want to get rid of. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels authentic. It does. And then slowly they come around and they start being excited at the notion of cheating on their side pieces with their spouse. And it's again, it's a little bit of a premise that sounds like a sitcom. You know, like an episode, old episode of Three's Company or something, but it, it really works in tender ways. It really does. It does. And again, the performances are magnificent. So that's one that we highly recommend you check out. Less of a, of a recommendation for Slight, which actually, again, Jacob, Jacob Lattimore stars. And mm-hmm. it's an origin story of sorts for a, a superhero film that I don't think the franchise will ever take off. It's, it's bland. The science is ridiculous. The storyline doesn't really go anywhere. So I would, I would skip Slight. Speaking of skipping, here are a few to skip this week. Tom Hanks and Emma Watson in The Circle. No. Patton Oswalt also stars in that. No. Going in style, the remake of the old 70s comedy, The Old Man Robbing a Bank. This time they update it with Alan Arkin and Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine. A lot of talent there put to waste. Going in style, not worth it. Don't knock twice. Don't knock once. Don't knock at all. It's don't. an indie horror that's worth skipping completely. And then the Ottoman Lieutenant. <laughs> How many times do I say no more Ottoman Empire movies this year? It's a Boring. romantic, historical, ridiculous piece of garbage. Skip it. So two worth checking out a home video and five to skip. That's helpful. Next week, we look forward to Annabelle Creation. Very because this much. one, speaking of, Annabelle, we were a little disappointed with, but this one getting some nice buzz. Yeah. And also The Glass Castle. So this is a book I read a long time ago, and uh, the cast looks great, and I'm excited about this one. Yeah, Nut Job 2, which raises the question, was there a Nut Job 1? <laughs> and yes, there was. And apparently it made enough money 
for this animated uh, franchise to keep rolling with Nutjob 2. And then Ingrid Goes West. This is, has Aubrey Plaza. So wrong. It has, <laughs> but she's wrong <laughs> in, the in, best way. in ways that are so right. It also has Elizabeth Olsen. So and, great. And O'Shea Jackson. That's right. Who is Junior. A, junior, Ice Cube's son, who was so impressive in Straight Outta Compton. I was wondering when he would do something else, and that's going to be it. So we'll check those out next week. As always, let us know what you thought about some of these films, especially... Movies like Detroit, which are so ripe for conversation mm -hmm. and debate. Love to hear what you think about this. Uh, or maybe you love Dark Tower. Who knows? Let us know. Chime in. It. Best way to do that is on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf or M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F on Facebook. That is Mad Wolf Columbus. Or check out the main website, uh, MadWolf.com, for all the written reviews. And also, if you're a horror fan, since we talked about Annabelle Creation there, I'd like to invite you to check out our horror-centric podcast which is fright club super fun you should come <laughs> you come and check that one out too if you're a horror fan that always gets fun to talk about those horror flicks so until next week the screening room podcast is a presentation of the columbus radio group and madwolf.com i'm george wolf i'm hope madden and this is the screening room podcast see ya i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend for dinner bye